Oh my goodness. Welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Hello, everybody. It's Lindsay and Krista. We're glad you're here. It's a good day to listen to the Almost 30 Pod. If this is your first time, welcome. You have basically almost 600 episodes. Just a lot of homework, baby. We talk about everything from spirituality to health and wellness to entrepreneurship to relationships, sex, everything in between. Uh, And we're just really thankful you're here. We know there's a lot out there to choose from and it's no accident you found this particular episode with Bazoma St. John. Yeah, it is such a good one. I was magnetized the entire conversation, fully in it, having the best time. Bose is so amazing and magnetic. And this is a conversation we've wanted to have for a long time. Yeah. You know, we've wanted her on the show because she's just such a powerhouse. She's so successful. And as fate would have it, as the universe would have Mm -hmm. it, she came at the perfect time. It's kind of wild. Because I was thinking when we wanted to have her on a couple years ago. Yeah. She was still in her corporate world. Yeah. Yes. Hadn't written the book. Yes. Wow. And the book, The Urgent Life, is really about love, loss, and survival. And she took a huge leap. If you know her, she is one of the most successful women in the world. Mm -hmm. She has worked for brands like Apple, Netflix, Beats by Dre. Like she's just been huge in the game. And for her to step away from her corporate job and to really choose herself and really look at her identity and her ego and her heart and who she really is outside of all these roles is so powerful. Yeah, I um, like Krista said, you, you're just captivated by her presence and energy. And for reasons that I was kind of surprised, you know, she's not only beautiful, yeah. but in our conversation, I just felt so thankful. She felt comfortable enough to share, you know, the season that she's in where she spent so many years, 20 years, um, just at a pace that was fast and furious, you know, in a way, and really uh, super successful being in rooms where she was the only one that looked like she does, the only black woman in the room on the board. And it's it's really amazing. And now where she's slowing down and mm-hmm. simplifying and really being with herself in so many ways and getting clear on how she wants to feel, what she wants to do next. And it could be so confronting because you're you're shedding an identity that the world knows you by. And so what does that mean? And um, yeah, I just was so thankful that we were able to kind of get that behind the scenes or kind of where she is now perspective. Yeah. I mean, that's like true bravery Mm -hmm. and true vulnerability where you're like, there's a risk here. There's a big risk. There's a monetary risk. There's a lifestyle risk. There's relationship risk because a lot of people want to be friends with you when you're popping and when your work is big mm-hmm. and when you're big in the world and all of that. And to be like, no, my heart and my gut is telling me to step back and I'm going to follow that. I mean, that's huge. And so talking about that choice and journey was so powerful. And we also talked a lot about losing her ex-husband. Mm-hmm. Um, he died of cancer and she also had a daughter that died. And so we talked a lot about grief and that journey of healing and that journey 
um, through all those big emotions, how she coped and how she's doing now. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I enjoyed about our conversation was how much we laughed. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about really hard, deep yeah. things. And that's like the goal of this show is to, you know, go deep, but also stay light and have fun and approach life with like joy and ease and laughter. And we laughed a lot. Yeah. And just reminded me of that ability to have this very dynamic experience in life, mm-hmm. you know, where you can really experience the fullness of life, even if it means you are deep in your grief process and how that can be beautiful and how that can be um, a catalyst for, because you are in it and feeling it and fully present for it, it can be a catalyst for your next creation, mm-hmm. your next season of your life. So I just love spending time with her. She was so generous with her time. Her new book is out now, The Urgent Life. We talked about this idea of urgency, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, at first when I, I saw the title, I was like, oh no, a book on hustle. Yes, 100%. <laughs> no, but we, we laughed about that. The, the urgency comes from, you know, partially comes from this, this season um, when her husband was diagnosed with cancer and just moving through that and the loss and the grief and how that's changed her perspective on how she approaches life and decisions and creation. And um, I just really loved the the shift in how I, how I understand that word. Yeah. And we talked about being a black woman in the workplace, mm-hmm. you know, at brands like Apple Music and iTunes, Uber, Netflix, Miss Universe, Endeavor. She's worked at some of the biggest brands and companies in the world and been a huge leader in all of them. And so that experience of being pretty much the only woman and also the only black woman is huge. Yeah. So I loved her perspective on that. And I love even hearing the stories about her and the workplace mm-hmm. that she yeah. told were amazing. Yeah. Yeah, as you can imagine, you know, her her confidence was seen and uh, taken in uh, in a way that, you know, labeled her as certain things. And um, she kept on, kept, kept on keeping on, kept on keeping on, kept keeping on. She, she kept on, going. kept on, kept on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it didn't stop her is, is what I want to say. So, uh, Bazoma, thank you. We adore you. And hopefully this isn't the last time that we have her on the show, but her new book, The Urgent Life, My Story of Love, Loss, and Survival is out now. Yes. And thank you so much for being a part of our community. We love you so much. We have our membership and we have courses and programs. If you're a podcaster or want to start a podcast, we have courses and programs for you too. Everything is at almost30.com. You can read our blog, learn more about us, get all the information there. We're on TikTok. So we drop the clips from the show on TikTok, which is amazing. It gives you a little bite-sized bit of Almost 30 and then Almost 30 podcast on Instagram. And our second show, Morning Microdose, which is the best way to start your day. So pick one of those today. Pick one of those and (laughs) you've got 24 hours in the day and you've got hundreds of hours of content. It's time. We love you guys. Enjoy this one and we'll see you on the other side. See you soon. Bye. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Oh, therapy, y'all. I don't know. I just, I don't know what I did before therapy, to be completely honest with you. I think I was kind of a mess, but you know, found it when I was meant to, but I have been going to therapy for about six years now, which is so crazy. So crazy, but it has changed my life and I will continue to invest in therapy for as long as I can. I feel like it has totally, totally made my relationships better, 
made my career better. I am a better mom. I am a better wife. I'm a better friend. I'm a better daughter and sister. Y'all, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do, this is it. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you get matched and you're like, yeah, not quite a fit, they make it easy and it's free to change. But I've had a lot of friends try BetterHelp and love it. So I really, really encourage you to start therapy. It's been the best decision I've ever made for myself. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash almost 30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash almost 30. I am juggling quite a bit lately. <laughs> I have a new baby, um, six months in, and uh, we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house. And um, it's just a lot, but everything is all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health routine is on point, then everything runs smoothly. And one huge piece of that routine is my supplementation. And Symbiotica has just always been a constant in my routine. Uh, if you haven't heard of Symbiotica, they're a health and wellness company that does everything with intention. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like I know them. <laughs> Shervine has been on the podcast many times. I just have seen how passionate, how incredibly intelligent, how dedicated he is to creating products um, that are clean, plant-based, uh, without toxic or harmful chemicals, which we need more of that in the world. Um, so let me just run you through what I'm taking. Um, I take the vitamin D3 K2. It's the liposomal form. I just squirt 12 little pumps in my mouth every single morning. I also take their B12. Um, I'm also obsessed with the liposomal vitamin C. I have these little packets whether it's winter or whatever season, it's obviously great for immunity, but it also um, is amazing because it has biotin, one of nature's most beautifying ingredients. Uh, so I've seen an improvement in my skin, hair, and nail growth as well. I do have mom brain, um, but I'm doing my best to just support my brain health in any way. So for brain health, focus, and memory, I really love taking their liposomal magnesium L-threonate. Um, it's an innovative form of magnesium that is able to cross the blood-brain barrier. It supports brain health, mood, immune system function, and overall well-being. It's incredible and tastes amazing. It's like this yummy vanilla cream flavor. That's the thing with uh, Symbiotica products. They taste unbelievable. So it really makes taking all of these supplements so easy, so yummy. And I actually look forward to it. So if you want to give Symbiotica a try, there is no better time. Right now is the time. Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Use our code almost 30, 20% off site-wide. So major. And then when you bundle and subscribe, which I highly recommend because you never want to run out of anything, uh, you're going to get an extra discount. So just do it up. Symbiotica.com and use the code almost 30 for 20% off site-wide. Guys, we've dove in and dove out three times because we're just getting really excited about talking and we're already getting so much yeah. juiciness mm -hmm. and goodness. And we were talking about the ego mm. and your first time turning in your book and sort of how that was received. And I'd mm. love to hear what you've learned about the ego since writing mm. the book and also since leaving your job. Oh, so we just going to go right there. Yes. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
gosh, the ego's a bitch, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Woo! You know, for a long time, I thought that I had to have a big ego, you know, to just be in the spaces I'm in. I mean, obviously, imagine, right? Yes. Not a whole lot of, first of all, women walking mm-hmm. around in these boardrooms, and they're certainly not Black women. Yes. Um, and so I think that my ego served me mm-hmm. then. You know, it's like, look, I've never been shy about my abilities, mm-hmm. who I am, where I come from. Like, I don't shy away from any of that. I don't try to blend in. I know I'm different. <laughs> it's like, what's the point of being in the room if I'm just going to pretend to be like everybody else? I have always felt that, you know? But it meant that some of ego, which sometimes is bravado, which you can call confidence, you know, there's so many names for it. I, that had to lead in order to make it, in order to survive. So then comes February 2022, you know, and I've turned in my manuscript. My editor says something to me that just shook me. Yeah, she she read it. And then like one of her first comments was like, you're not a hero in your book. And I was like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm, yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean? Like, I, I you know, and of course, it's like, look, I got super sensitive, you know, Yes. Sensitive about my shit. This is a memoir. Yes. You know memoir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sensitive. And um, I thought, well, does that mean bad? Mm-hmm. You know, she's just like, no, it's just surprising. She said, because for somebody like you who walks around with such bigness uh, that you're willing to look at yourself and maybe a way and tell people something about yourself that's not pretty, it's tough. You know, and that's surprising. She's like, it's not bad. It's good. But just so you're aware. She's like, I'm not sure if you understood that you wrote that. And it was interesting because I hadn't yet processed those comments when then I left my job, which then I had to set aside my ego in order to do that. Because for 22 years, I have been Bose from the company, right? Or Bose who does this job very, very large stick for at least the last 10 years, you know? Mm-hmm. And having to set aside the ego which had protected me for so long, you know, to get deep, to get vulnerable, to peel away the layers, to actually sit with myself without anything else going on was just devastating. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think sometimes, like, for all of us, you know, you when you think about your identity, and I think all of us intellectually and maybe academically know that, like, okay, if I strip everything down, if I'm not a mom, or I'm not this executive, or I'm not a fitness person, or I'm not, name whatever the thing your identity is. Gorgeous, amazing, all of the funny. Things, yes. <laughs> and use it. <laughs> yes. All, you know, all, all that. I can yeah, guess yeah, exactly. sexy. Amazing, whatever, yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, if you set all that aside, who are you? I think intellectually, we've all, we all know that thing, right? Yes. People say that to us or, you know, you feel like, oh, yeah, I know who I am. If I wasn't there, I know. But that's not true. I promise you it's not true. Mm-hmm. I thought I knew. I've just told you the way that I walk into rooms and I'm unashamed, unapologetic about who I am and all the da-da-da. But yet, you set aside the title, this thing, this bravado I've been walking around with because that had to come to the side too. It wasn't just like I quit a job. It was like everything I walked around with, I had to sit down. Mm. And then I was just bare. 
sitting there naked. Yeah. <laughs> and freezing. Ass out. Goosebumps everywhere. Ass out. Exactly. You know what I mean? Nipples hard. Okay. All of the things. And being like, don't take photos. You know? Yes. Yeah. And um, it was really, really difficult. And I would say that in the past, in the time since then, all of my activities, behaviors have been in a sort of unraveling of the last two decades. You know, to really get to that answer of like, well, who, who really am I without these things? What inspired you to leave your job? Was there something bigger? It was just you knew it was time? You know, I didn't really know it was time. It was kind of a mutual agreement, uh-huh. um, which, by the way, I'm super thankful for. Yeah. You know, what an amazing, what an amazing opportunity, you know, to be able to talk to your boss <laughs> and say, hey, look. Be real. Yeah, I'm at this moment. I don't know. And he being like, not selfish about it, you know, and saying and saying like, okay, let's talk about this. Uh, You might be right. And then me, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, I'm not right, I'm not right, hold on, hold on. You're not going to change me. Exactly, I didn't didn't just resign, hold on. You know what I mean? That's not what just happened. (laughs) That is the weirdest thing when you quit and they're like, sounds good. And you're like, what? Wait, 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 hold on. You you want me though, right? You're like, I'm the best thing ever had, right? Don't don't forget this. But no, but it was inspired by the fact that like, um, I had been doing it all for the whole time. You know, it was like, (laughs) <laughs> pandemic, panoramic, Panasonic yeah. that we were dealing with and writing my book on Saturdays, every Saturday for two years, doing this big ass job, managing my mommyhood, mm-hmm. well, sort of, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. being a friend, trying to date, mm-hmm. all of the yeah. things. And I felt like, okay, I'm doing it, right? Because I did write my book. I was a, a great mom, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I was doing all of the things, a good executive, like the whole thing. But then it felt like everything needed to stop. It just felt like too much. And I'm, to some degree, I mean, look, I'm just going to say I was proud of myself in that moment. You know? And it was hard to say, you know what, actually, um, this big-ass job that everybody knows in this moment, like not to leave, to go do something else. Oh, and by the way, all the folks who, when, you know, the announcement hit and the press was hot and, you know, social media and all that, and people are, can't wait to see what you do next. Oh, my God, you're amazing. Can't wait. What's the next announcement? Oh, I know there's a strategy. You're not going to tell us. And I'm sitting at home and I'm like, well, I have nothing to say. It's a, it's a very, very hard thing. I, there's more than one night when I thought about calling Ted the next day and being like, you know what? I, can I take it back? <laughs> Let's just call the press tone. We made a mistake. We were kidding. We were kidding. Oh, it's because I'm taking a different job here at Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. I'll be the chief uh, design officer, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And obviously, that is all based on just an unknowing, right, of what is in the future. And potentially, that's also, I think, part of what I've grappled with in the 10 years since my husband died or nine years since he died, that the unknowing is such a difficult thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought I had a handle on it. (laughs) I didn't know I didn't have a handle on it until I left my job. We spend so much energy trying to figure out or know. Mm -hmm. Because I think just as humans, we're so uncomfortable with the unknown, with kind of that abyss. Yes. At the, you know, at the beginning of any process, after you quit the job, 
And then you enter into this new period and it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really terrifying. Was there like that? Did you have faith? Were you being mm-hmm. tested? Like, mm-hmm. I guess, what was that feeling yeah. when you quit? Cause I guess we have an audience too, where so many people are having those like reckoning mm-hmm. moments of like, actually what I've been doing, the pace at which I've been going, yeah, this just doesn't feel aligned and I'm ready to take that leap of faith. Yes. But it's so terrifying. It's so yeah. terrifying. How did you like, I don't through? know why people think it's easy. Oh my gosh. You know? Well, it sounds easy, it right? It sounds like, easy. I, it's like, leap oh, yeah. of faith sounds romantic. Of course. Mm-hmm. And you know what? And also because we've romanticized this idea of like, well, of course, I'm the best and so I can do anything. Mm-hmm. I can just quit and do something else. Yes. We've, rom- we've romanticized that idea. So when you're actually faced with it, mm-hmm. maybe you feel like a failure because you can't go through with it. You know, and for me, it felt like it just felt like too much. I don't know how else to explain it. Mm-hmm. It felt like too much and something had to give. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing had to give. Mm-hmm. The biggest part of my identity had to give. You know, that job that everyone talked about. Yeah, the world knew you as. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it had to give. Sure. And I think part of it also, um, thinking about, you know, the sort of leap of faith is that I, I think I've been knowing that something needed to change. You know, that um, I've been doing too much. That the world and the corporate space served me for some time. And it was good. But my own evolution is taking me in a different direction. And so sometimes you just got to let go. Yeah. You know? And um, I, don't, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was mm-hmm. like, I didn't know. I, it was very, very strange. Strange for me, mm-hmm. you know, because I always have had a plan. Like, not that, like, I preach against the five and ten year plans because I think they inhibit you from, like, you know, taking the risks. But that doesn't mean that I haven't had a next step. Like, I've always known, like, okay, I may not know ten steps ahead, but I know one step ahead, you know? And so to stand there and not know what the next step is and still leave, that was the hard part. Mm-hmm. But I knew it in my spirit that that was the right thing to do. And I can't sit here now and tell you that I'm sure Mm -hmm. that that was the right step. I just have faith that it was. Mm -hmm. And I hope that one day I'm able to sit back and say, you know, that was a magical moment Mm -hmm. in February 2022 when I let it all go. Mm -hmm. And then it allowed the space for this other amazing thing to happen. Like, that's what I have faith about. Mm -hmm. That the big thing is yet to come. Yes, of course, I have accolades. I have all the things from a prior life, from a prior me. And now it's time to open and let something else in. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a weird thing when you're doing something that's so right for you and so aligned, like leaving in February 2022, and then you leave and you're wrestling with your ego and your actual self and you're figuring Mm -hmm. out who you are. And you do something you know that's right for you, but it makes you really depressed. Yeah. And it's really painful. <laughs> right. You know, where you're like, I chose this mm-hmm. and now I'm no idea who I am. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have no identity. I feel like I've, it's just, it's such an interesting thing. But yeah. when you know, and when the soul knows, that's like the carrier, yeah. you know, that is like, yeah. like soul, I know this is hard and I know this hurts. But I know I trust you and I'm going to yes. follow you. Yes. So did you have moments after that where you're like, oh, my God, I feel like. 
I don't know who I am. And like, mm. what was like, what was the hard moments? Like, what were those like? Yeah. Oh gosh. It just made me think of something that, um, I've, uh, I've chosen my identity so many times, mm. you know, not, not that anybody gave them to me. Of course, they're the ones that the world gives you. Yeah. I'm black. I'm a woman. Mm. Blah, 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 right. But I have chosen my identity in many ways. I'm badass Bose because I chose that. I decided that. You know, and then I started acting like that. And then people started calling me that. <laughs> um, and I think I've done that so much. And even the titles and identities that I didn't want, but I knew were coming. Widow. I knew was coming. I didn't want it, but I knew it was going to come. And then I had to accept it when it did. Right? So the decision to remove a title is so much harder because assuming one is your power. So I had to decide that it was also powerful to remove one. That it wasn't a lessening of me. It was very powerful to say, you know what? I'm no longer this. Put it aside. You know, and sometimes that comes in the form of many things. You know, maybe you no longer want to be a wife. Oof. You know, and what's the world going to think of that? But how powerful to decide for yourself yeah. that you no longer want this title. I'm going to put it aside. Mm. And I'm just going to be something else. And maybe you don't have that. Maybe it's just a blank statement right now, you know? Because, yes, in the, for me, setting aside the title of executive felt bad. But at the same time, I have found power in saying, no, I decided that, though. Liberating. I decided to put that mm -hmm. aside. Do I have something else to fill in with? No. But maybe I don't need to. Maybe I don't need to. Maybe I was carrying around way too many titles. Maybe that's what actually was keeping me from doing the thing I'm supposed to do because it was too heavy walking around with all these burdens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe the effort of the last two decades of picking up titles was actually the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like greed. Mm -hmm. I walked around mm -hmm. gathering all of these things and blah, 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 blah. And then before you know it, it made me slow and cumbersome mm -hmm. <laughs> over here lugging this big ass burden. Yeah. You know? So I think it is in today, as I sit here, I consider it to be so much more powerful to say, I took that and put it aside. It was slowing me down. So I'm lighter for it. I can feel it in my spirit. I'm lighter. You know, like, I think one of the tests for me is when I think about picking it back up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's like it's you like know. having a chore that you just keep putting off. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's on your list and mm -hmm. you know you should do it. Mm -hmm. But you're like, oh, not yet. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then like, you're like, how did I do that for so long? How did I do that for so long? Because when you put it down, you're just like, oh, shit, that thing. That was so heavy. Yeah. You know? And so that for me has now, in those moments of doubt, in those moments where I wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night, like, I ain't got no job. Oh, my God. You know, mm -hmm. in those moments where I'm just like at a cocktail party, like, what do you do? In those moments, in those mm -hmm. moments, I have to consider what would it feel like to pick it back up? Mm -hmm. And as soon as that thing hits and I'm like, oh, no, girl, Shh, bitch, I do nothing. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> That's my job right now. <laughs> nothing. You know what I mean? Ah. Like, you know, because yeah. the thing is that, that that is what has helped me to stay sane. Mm -hmm. That's what keeps the regret at bay. Mm -hmm. Because when I think about picking it back up, my whole soul dissipates. Yeah. 
That's and an I, important oh, feeling to be in touch with. Because I, I don't think, mm. I think the ego kind of runs a lot of people's lives in that way where they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, but the money or the accolades yeah. or the respect, whatever yes. it is. Yes. But for you to be so in touch with that feeling now, mm. do you feel as though, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm curious about, you know, your experience um, in losing your husband and mm. that time of your life. Mm-hmm. Can you pinpoint like the perspective shifts, you know, yes. that kind of got you to this place of like, this is what's really important. Actually, Yes, 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 yes. Oof. Sometimes it doesn't take a lot of time to make a pivot. You know, sometimes it's really sharp and you just have to do it <laughs> for survival mm-hmm. or for whatever, right? It's like, I think a lot of, that happens to a lot of people where everything is going jolly and wonderful and then a pivot happens and you're like, oh, shoot, I have to change my perspective on this thing because now life is different. You know, and not by your choice. Again, like, remember, we're saying that, like, when you choose an identity, it feels very powerful. Most of us, like, we're like, yes, I decided to do this. And boom, boom, boom. But when something is given to you or shoved on you, that does not feel powerful. You feel put upon. Mm-hmm. Or then when you have to decide to put something down, that does not feel powerful because you're like, oh, my God, I lost. You know? Yes. But in that process um, of when my husband was diagnosed with cancer, I will not say that that's the moment that the pivot happened because unfortunately, both of us had already dealt with our mothers having been diagnosed with cancer. My mother, my mother was finishing her second round of cancer, you know? So it wasn't a stranger to us and both of them were survivors. And so it didn't feel like a death sentence. It felt like an interruption. You know, and sometimes that's even more dangerous because you're not aware of the moment. You look, I look back now and I'm like, oh, my God, May 2013, we should have stopped the world. We should have stopped everything. And we didn't. Mm. You know, because we didn't know. Yeah. We didn't know what, the, what kind of shift that that moment was going to bring in our lives. We did not know. And so the ways that my perspective changed weren't at diagnosis. It wasn't even while he was in treatment. It wasn't when he had to, like, you know, not go to the play date because he felt too sick. Or I remember Lael's fourth birthday. You know, we did in a park, all the little kids running around. You know, we had one of those bouncy houses and we, you know, all the things. And we were cutting her cake. And he, I can see it in the video now so clearly. I didn't see it then. You know, the pain in his face. Like, he was just trying to be there. Yeah. and. um I remember after, after like cutting the cake, we were sitting over to the side and he was just like, he could, I could tell he was in pain. And I was like, Tina should take you home. Tina's my cousin. Everybody got a cousin, Tina. Cousin Tina. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everyone has a cousin, Tina. <laughs> so I was like, you know, Tina, take him home. And in that moment, I think my perspective started to change. You know, it was the awareness that he wouldn't be able to do everything. I didn't realize that the small moments also needed to have the attention. It really wasn't until his oncologist said that his cancer would be terminal. That then that was a sharp turn. Everything else had felt kind of gradual. 
And I think we are okay in life with that, you know, small changes, small things that happen. Um, it's like stepping into colder and colder water, you know, it's like you first you put your toe in and you get to acclimate and then you're up to your knees, you acclimate and you're up to your elbows. You know, it's like before you know it, you're submerged and you feel fine, you know, but yet, oh my God, you went from like standing on the land to being submerged in water. It's a big difference, but you're okay with that change. This feels like somebody yanked you off the side and put you underwater and then held you there. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't let you breathe. That's what it felt like in October. You know, and for me, it was the beginning of a perspective change because I felt powerless. I felt like there, like it wasn't fair what I had done to deserve it. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt like grabbing small moments and trying to hold on to them and it just wouldn't stay and being mad at that, <laughs> even though that's been my whole life. That's our whole lives. We do things every day that we just go away, you know? Yeah. But then here I was trying to, it, it reminded me of, um, do you remember this? It was once like a, I don't know if it was a game show. I don't know where I get this image from. I think it's a game show. Yeah. You know where they're standing in like a clear cylinder and then the money is falling down yeah. and they're trying to grab yes. it? Yes. yes. I forget what it's called, but It's yes. like so patronizing if you think about it. I know. It they're really just is. like, they're like you get like the money. money. I know. But in, and, here, and here we are on the sidelines watching on TV like, the bend down. Yes. It's like as if you wouldn't be up in there talking yes. about grabbing the yes. air. You know what I mean? You wouldn't yes. bend down either. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's so confused. But the truth is that that's what life felt like, mm. you know? It felt like trying to grab all the things, like staring up into the sky and saying, Ooh, what's going to drop next? Oh, my God, let me grab that, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, that perspective change meant that I was more appreciative of the everyday mundane. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something to <laughs> having physical reminders of that shit. You know, every day Peter woke up and something was wrong. Something was missing. And so it meant that, like, if it was Tuesday (laughs) and he could walk, (laughs) we needed to walk somewhere. Yeah. Because I don't know if we wake up tomorrow and he's going to be able to do that. That's what that was like. And the habit of that, even though it wasn't a long produced habit, you know, because he slowly, well, actually, no, quickly Mm -hmm. lost a lot of things. Um, Then obviously at the end of his life. It didn't stop me from continuing that afterwards. You know, Mm -hmm. I won't pretend like every single moment I'm like, oh, yes, let me just recognize this moment and be joyous. (laughs) You know? Yeah. But I'll tell you something. I love the small moments. Mm -hmm. There are lots of things where it's like, look, I don't need to be at the Super Bowl. You know, Mm -hmm. I can be sitting on the couch watching the game and it's okay. You know, it's like the small things truly do matter. And I love the joy in finding them. It's not always the big things that are going to make life. It's the small, small little things. Yeah, and that's more of the soul, you know, versus the ego. Yeah. Because the ego's like accolades, Super Bowl. And then the soul is like, oh, being able to walk down the street this morning, you know, with my husband. Yes. I remember reading, and I, I think it was in the description, that you were all going to separate before. Yeah. So what was that, you know, what was that like? Like, how did that feel 
to be so sure mm. and be like, we're separating. This is how it's going. And then have this mm. turn your world upside down. And was it re-falling in love? Like, tell me more about that. Yes. What drama. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Look, the soap opera of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Um, and I love that word that you said, sure. Because mm-hmm. isn't it funny? It's kind of protective. Isn't it, though? You're like, we're good. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. know exactly what I'm doing. Yes. Yeah. You know, and then what happens again, like in the middle of the night, when you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm not sure. You know what I mean? You want to totally. take it back. Totally. You know, and um, I was sure when I asked him for separation. I was sure. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? No, I'm moving on from this relationship. I think I'm good. Mm-hmm. I've done it now. We've been married a decade. It's good. You know? And it hurt him so much. But he went along with it. I think out of love for me, for sure. He wasn't going to fight me. He wasn't going to, we weren't going to become enemies. And he said that, which I also appreciated. But it was, yeah. it was him. That was him. Yeah. You know, he would be like, okay, you want me to cut off my left leg? All right. Let me do, let me figure out how I'm going to do that. And I didn't, I didn't appreciate that enough. There's not a lot of people like that in the world. Yeah. And he was one. Um, and when we separated, it was very complicated because I wanted, I wanted to explore. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to be outside. Yeah. You know? And I was like, freedom! I'm a single lady <laughs> yeah. in the world! You know? And I was like, you be a single man too. Let, you be single, I'll be single. We friends. Totally. We'll go on double dates. <laughs> which, which never happened, by the way. He okay? said she's torturing me. Exactly. He was like, what the fuck are you talking about? You, know? you can't brainwash You me. can't do this. Yes. <laughs> And um, he just wouldn't do it. And I was so pissed off, <laughs> you know, with him for, like, not exploring his singleness. Mm-hmm. And he was wearing his ring, and I was pissed mm-hmm. at that. I mean, we did that for three years. We did that for mm-hmm. almost three years. And then when he was diagnosed, or right before he was diagnosed, he was, he was in a relationship with a wonderful woman who I really liked. Um, so, again, it's just <laughs> the complications of relationships, you know, because we weren't divorced. Like, we were kind of happily separated. And I liked her. I liked her for him. Mm. Um, but when he was, when the oncologist said it was terminal, it changed everything. It really did. You know, it's like, man, all of that regret starts running in. Think about all the things that you should have done, could have done, would have done. You know, and why is it that it takes that in order to consider? And I was mad at myself. And I felt cliche, you know, for having to have something like that happen. I thought it was bigger than that. I thought I was sure. And so I could be like, okay, this is happening. This is a terrible thing. But I'm still sure in the decision because it was the right decision. No, I started questioning everything, all the things. How cliche is that? You'd have to really be confronted with death in order to consider whether or not you made the right call? I thought I was more advanced, more evolved. But no, I wasn't. And maybe some of us aren't, you know? And so, yeah, in that moment, it became (laughs) days of our lives. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It became like a very big soap, you know, where I'm over here, like the jealous uh, (laughs) ex-wife, you know, looking at them like, "Mm, why is she touching him like that? Girl, you drove him over there. You told him to go over there. Mm -hmm. You don't have to remind myself. Whispering to my girlfriends. His family didn't like me so much during that time. You know? But then I became his main caregiver. So then guess what? They had to like me. 
Oh, and then his mama and his dad had to move in with me. Oh, imagine that. Now I'm over here, the sort of ex, the new girl over there. His parents are with me. They're looking at me like, you should have never left him. (laughs) It was so soapy. But at the end, and this is going to sound so corny, but I'm going to say it anyway. Love conquers everything. It really does. You know, if you really look at it and you're brave enough, oh, Lord, to look at it in the face and say all of the things, you know, because there is nothing else, really. You can't pretend to feel anything else. And so in that moment, when I was in that hospital room looking at him, and I was like, fuck it. Yo, look, like, I think we got to get back together. Like, this is, this is like, I don't, I don't want this. I don't want to be apart. And the fact that he had a list of things he wanted me to accomplish, one of them was to cancel the divorce. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I thought, well, what's the point of that anyway? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you don't have much time. What's the point? Like, why are we worried about that? But he decided to do all of the things. He proposed again. We watched our wedding video again. Mm-hmm. We toasted with some hostess cupcakes. Because <laughs> was no wedding cake. <laughs> but this time, how beautiful, because Lael got to watch the video with us. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to point out the funny tributes and my aunt, who instead of saying Peter and Bose, said Peter and Paul. And we were like, <laughs> <laughs> what is going on here? Everyone, everyone's got an aunt like that. Okay, exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, somebody grab her. Like, why does she <laughs> yeah. have someone? Give, take the mic. You know? <laughs> You're like, that's my favorite. And it's on yeah. damn video. You yeah. ruined the wedding video with that. You know? But it's <laughs> she really said that though. She really said and she will not live it down. You know what I mean? Do you know me? Exactly. But it's just, you know, love, love, love. You know, sometimes we have to be brave enough to admit that it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Admit that we're not perfect. Admit that we're wrong. Admit that maybe your jealousy maybe does point you in the right direction sometimes. Ooh. Mm. You know, that if you're feeling some kind of feelings all up in there in your gut and it keeps coming back, maybe you need a Examine that. And that's what I had to do. And it was very scary to say to him, you know, because he could reject me, of course. He could say, oh, really? (laughs) I'm on my deathbed and now you want to get back together? Like, oh, you want to kick out sweet little yoga instructor over here so that you you can... No, you already betrayed me. He could have said all of those things. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. You know, and so it gave me... Such, oh God, what a gift. You know, what a gift. Not just in like, of course, him uh, giving me that love to the end, which I don't, I don't even have the words to articulate what that means. Um, but also the gift of knowing that like when it's really love, none of that shit ever matters. Yeah. All the mistakes don't matter. The arguments don't matter. The hate doesn't matter. The jealousy doesn't matter. <laughs> the small things don't matter. The big things don't matter. Your mama don't matter. <laughs> yes. yeah. All of it. None of it. None of it matters. If it's if, if it's true. for real, it's true. like go get it. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's for real, don't hold back. Don't pretend like it doesn't. Don't let your ego. That's the ego. Don't let your mm-hmm. ego keep you from asking for it. Because that's what I had to do. I had to ask yeah. him for it, and he gave it. What a gift. What a. Oof. 
Okay, I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app, um, Superhuman. I have been doing these superhuman activations every single morning for the last three weeks. Let me just tell you, I kind of fell off of my game after I had the baby. Most of my time and energy was going to him still is, but I have been able to carve out time in the morning before I get into the swing with him. And I've been doing these activations. I do a lot of the shorter ones because I don't have a ton of time, but let me just say, this is new. Like this is a new type of audio that, um, are super energizing and really specifically designed to transform you into your future self. So I know a lot of us want to manifest things. I know a lot of us are thinking about planning for the future. Um, but a lot of us feel stuck. And so I've just felt like this has unstuck me in just the most beautiful way. So I've been doing a lot of their pep talks. I've been doing some of their writing activations. Uh, this morning I did the three morning questions. It was a seven minute, really vibey writing activation that I love. So I had my journal out. Um, yesterday I did a pep talk, uh, about tackling procrastination. There's a part of me that procrastinates quite a bit. So I'm just, I love this. I love this. There's going to be an activation for you for this moment, for this day. Uh, it's incredibly supportive. So we actually interviewed Mimi Bouchard, the founder, not too long ago. Check out that interview. Uh, and we have a sample of one of the activations on our feed. So you can check that out as well. It's way easier to implement into your routine and far more effective than any other audio app out there. I've just noticed that I'm doing it much more consistently. So please don't miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts. On top of the 14-day free trial, get over 60% off your subscription for a limited time only at activation.com slash almost 30. Literally, there is no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The offer is only available through their website, not on the app store. So that's activations.com slash almost 30 for 60% off. It expires soon. Yeah. In a lot of ways. I know it's been Nine years. Yeah. So like the I, grief I, I is can't like, even imagine the grief doesn't care. Yeah. yeah it does not care at all. Mm -hmm. You know, whoever said that time heals all wounds, I want to know what wound they were talking about. Mm -hmm. who, who I really, said I really that? want to understand. Were they talking about like, maybe they're talking about a little scratch. Physical you know, wounds. Were they talking about like a, yeah, <laughs> like paper it's cut? Still a scar. Yeah. It's a, it's a paper cut, right? Yeah. Because this cannot be like that, that yeah. wound that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Cannot be. Because there are moments where it still steals my breath. There are moments where like I wake up and I'm like, oh my God. Like, it can't, this can't be. This can't be life. Yeah. And then there are times when it just feels like it was a million years away. Mm. You know, where it feels light, where I can think about him and laugh. You know, or like, mm. my daughter has so many of his, his mannerisms. It's wild. Mm. It's crazy, <laughs> you know? And sometimes, like, especially as she's getting older, they're becoming more pronounced. <laughs> it's so weird, you know, or like certain things that she likes or doesn't like that are his. I'm, I'm literally just like, see, this is not this is what we're talking about. This is the nature part. You know what I'm saying? Wow. This is not nurture because she would not know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Like what? Oh, my God. Oh, I have a million examples. Um, she is as forgiving mm. as he is. She's quick with it. You know, she didn't learn that from me. I'll hold a damn grudge. <laughs> okay. No, but she's quick. She's quick with it. Wow. You know? Or um, 
the way that she sits. Mm-hmm. You know, he liked to sit on the ground with his legs crossed. But his is the type that like knees touch the ground. Mm-hmm. Like this flexibility in the hips. Look, yeah, I don't have whoa. any of that. Oh, my whoa. hip flexors are like, bitch, get up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> saying, stand up. Yeah. <laughs> this is not comfortable for you. <laughs> you know? Wow. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, it's, I don't know. There's just, there's mm-hmm. so many things. There's so many things. But I, I love some of that. And some, some of it causes me pain. Sure. You know, when I see it in her, it makes me miss him, you know? And then there are a lot of times when um, I think about the fact that life couldn't be the way it is without his death. And that feels guilty too. You know, mm. that's some of the risk I've taken. I wouldn't have taken if he was alive. Mm. And that, whoo, that's a different type of, uh, that's another book. Yes. <laughs> but you know, it's like, it's a yes. different type of grief because there is guilt associated with it. Yeah. You know, and knowing that with him, I would not have achieved. I know that for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it makes me feel guilty because I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. but, mm. Mm, you wouldn't have made these decisions if he was alive? Probably not. And then when you pull up, 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 you know, it's like, if we're thinking about, if we believe in soul contracts, Mm. something like that, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like a part of your contract with him though was, was, you know, it's, I'm not talking about the, the illness, but it's like, yeah, there's something there that there was an agreement that he would be a catalyst in some way to your success. Correct. You know, so it's like, it's yes. really beautiful. You know, I know there's there's so many, it's so complex and the emotional aspect of it is so complex, but sometimes I like to just be like, okay, let me, whew, let me pull up and out for a second yeah. and understand on a soul level what's happening. Yes. And knowing that, or I believe his soul lives on. Yes. You know, and that there was just this like beautiful, perfect. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, there's a yeah. part of my book where I talk about the signs, mm. signs that I've seen post his death. And I know that's like sometimes frou frou and no, yeah, you know no. all of that, but look, they are clear as day to me. Mm-hmm. And I've been so fortunate to sometimes catch them on camera, so I can oh, prove it. <laughs> what are they? You know, oh gosh, so- girl, oh my god, Let's let me tell it. you this story. Okay, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yes, we're ready. Okay, this is what I like. <laughs> so let me tell you. So Peter died on December eleventh, twenty thirteen. Right? Um, oh, honey, we. Yeah, we're right there. Yeah. Mm. Um. He wanted to be cremated, much to his family's anger, but Mm. I went ahead and did it, right? Mm. Um, Our daughter, Eve, uh, had been cremated as well. She was my Mm. first daughter uh, who had died a couple of years before him. And um, we had put her ashes at the church where we held her funeral. Um, The priest there was wonderful. You know, we didn't really know what to do with her. You know, is that weird to say? No. I we didn't know, yeah. you know, it's like it felt weird to True. bury her and like where, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we left her in the in the crypt mm-hmm. for a while. And when Peter knew that he was going to die, he was like, OK, now I know mm-hmm. we're going to you're going to bury her with me mm-hmm. in the family plot in Massachusetts. Yeah. And I was like, "Ooh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that, mm-hmm. but OK, mm-hmm. <laughs> I will do my best. So when he died, cremated him, um, but I wasn't ready. You know, so I put his ashes in the crypt alongside with her at the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, here, y'all keep yourselves company while I figure this out. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and it took me about six months, actually, to decide to 
bury him um, or them. And on our drive from New York, where we were living, to Massachusetts, which is where the family plot is, um, in the car with me, which now I look back and I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, I had his ashes, Eve's ashes, Leon was in the car, my mother, and my best friend. Mm. And so I'm driving, by the way. Why am I driving? I don't know. That's but I'm driving. But I'm, I'm hilarious, actually. Like, like, what the fuck? It's the like, dynamics it's like almost still like don't co- change. It, it looks, <laughs> okay, exactly. Why am I driving? Okay? But whatever. <laughs> Hindsight. So I'm driving (laughs) with like what should be probably like the worst situation. You know, it's like I think about it now. I'm just like, yo, that was wild. Mm -hmm. So I'm driving the car. I got my husband and my daughter's ashes in the back. My daughter's there. My mother's there. My best friend. And I was fine, actually. You know, we're listening to music. We're having conversations as if it's a normal day, as if it's a, a normal drive up the East Coast. And as we're approaching Worcester, which is where he was mm-hmm. from, um, I started to feel the pressure and the anxiety start to build, right? Now, I couldn't really articulate it, but, you know, I just started to get fidgety and a little cranky and mm-hmm. all the things. And my best friend, Justina, sitting in the front, um, by the way, brilliant woman, because she'd also arranged for us to take uh, a trip to Greece right after. Like, literally, mm-hmm. my mother and Leah were going to drop us off at Boston. We were going to run off to Greece. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean... Like, I don't think I've still thanked her for that. Mm-hmm. I should thank her for that. Mm-hmm. Because, like, what foresight, you know? Oh. Anyway, I'm starting to get more and more anxious. Justina is noticing my twitching happening. And she's like, you know, pull over. It's okay. Pull over. I'll take over. Now I'm like, nah, it's okay. I got it. I got it. It's getting worse by the second. Okay? So eventually, I'm just like, I recognize myself. I just, I'm going to pull over. So I'm pulling over onto the shoulder. And as I'm doing that, a car comes speeding by, okay? Almost like hitting us. I don't know where in the hell, I had not seen this car behind me and why is it going so fast, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's fast enough and close enough that I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God, and I have to look at it. The license plate says Pete. I just got like, wow. And you better believe this look like a freaking, I don't know, Die Hard 3. I was like, Rawr! you know, swerve back into the highway and I am now chasing this car. (laughs) Cause I'm like, that says Pete. Like I'm going to follow. It was a, like he's in the car. He uh, he has to be in the car. I mean, (laughs) part of the license plate say Pete. Yeah. You saying? This is all a joke. He's in the car. (laughs) He's in the car. It's gotta be him driving the car. (laughs) And Justina, thank God for her brilliance, takes out her phone and takes a picture. Wow. So I'm chasing this car. Okay. Fast as hell, like a bat out of hell. (laughs) It gets off on the Worcester exit. No way. And disappears. Mm. I promise on everything that that is what happened. Justina got it on camera. And as I got off on the exit, of course, like, I'm just, I'm now Mm -hmm. all the adrenaline and the crying and the things. And I was like, you know what? I am supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be taking these two over to their resting place. Peter was not going to let me pull over to the side of the car and have a freaking breakdown because that's what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. If I had stopped that car and gotten out, there's no way I was getting back in. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think there would have been a force on the planet that would have allowed me to get back into the car and continue driving. Mm-hmm. I needed that sign. Mm-hmm. I needed that push that said, chase this car, go this way. And it mm-hmm. got off on our exit. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so even that day, 
you know, by the time we got there, you can imagine, we were all shaking. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the car. I mean, I don't even know what we looked like when we got out. We must have looked like a hot mess. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were all like, oh my God. Exactly. Like, hair out to here. It was like a 1980s, like, bad movie. You know, it's like all spiked hair up, like, ah, you know? Because we had just seen something. Yeah. Like, that was a big, big thing. And I also loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved it. And there are times I, I loved when, you know, you prayed before mm-hmm. we started talking because um, sometimes I use that time to, to ask mm-hmm. for it. You know, I'm like, look, I need you. I need you to come here, okay, <laughs> and do whatever you need to do to straighten this thing out. Yeah. Or just give me a sign. Let me just see some. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If you could just um, let this flame wiggle just a little bit, yes. mm-hmm. then, then I'll know. You know, sometimes I'll be staring at the flame and nothing happens. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But oftentimes when I ask for a sign, it doesn't come the way I want it to, but it comes anyway. And it's such a beautiful thing. It makes me so, so happy. So I do believe in another realm. I believe in the fact that we are connected, that it never, ever goes away. And I think to some degree, even though I can grieve him in body, there's a peace for sure, for peace and, and some joy, you know, in knowing that like something is still around, mm-hmm. some part of him is still around. And if I may, I'll also say this, which is that, and this is a little more graphic and maybe more morbid, but, but I'll go there anyway, which is that, um, you know, in that last day, as he slowed and breathing slowed and all of that, um, it was still him, you know, like it was just him, just skinnier and sicker. But the moment he died, he was gone. Mm. And I know that for sure. You know, it was like, look, I, I was I was there. I had my hand on his chest, my head next to his. I saw it. And. He was gone. You know, and so there is something to the spirit Mm. and what it makes of us and how we are, you know, and that when it disappears from you, it is no longer you. Mm. And I think that was also a gift for me to understand that, to actually see it, you know, and not think that like, gosh, his body is still him, you know, that the spirit had been removed and gone somewhere else. And so now it makes it easier for me when I feel him somewhere else or something else happens. I'm like, ah, mm-hmm. that was him. Mm-hmm. Cause he was no longer in that body. Mm-hmm. That was yes. on the bed. He wasn't there. I saw myself. Mm-hmm. He was gone. Mm-hmm. So it does make grief to some degree easier because I'm able to understand really physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually that he exists in a different plane. How did his passing help you understand or or what was that relationship between his passing and your daughter's passing? Mm. Gosh, that's a great question. Um, What is the difference? You know, I was mad at God both times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really, really pissed off. Yeah. To some degree, I'm still mad. Mm -hmm. God knows. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, this, this anger's for you to deal with. Look, <laughs> this is not my anger. This yeah. is your anger. Okay. Like, this is, this is you, God. It's like, I committed to coming to this earth 
to doing this stuff and you're going to make it a little hard for me. Okay, look. Okay. God, this is not my fault. Loving me means making it all easy. Exactly. Like, what the hell is going on? Uh, yeah, that, you know, that was another thing that like, by the way, Cousin Tina, yes. who I love and adore, um, she has a hard time with that. You know? She's like, you can't be mad at God. I'm like, no, I'm pissed off. Yeah. I'm pissed yeah. at God for this. It's like, no, there's a reason for everything. No, sometimes there isn't. Sometimes there isn't. And I don't believe there is. And I can have that. And so when I think about it, it's interesting because Lael and Eve could not exist together. There's no possibility. Mm. The biology doesn't work. Because I got pregnant with Lael three months after Eve died. And it was before Eve would have been born. So they would not be able to exist together. So which one would I choose? You know, when I think of that, it is a very different grief for Eve. Because there's no possibility for her to live and for Lael to live. And so in order to love Lael, I have to have let go of Eve. So the grief is different in that. You know? For Peter, I have not yet found love like him. I think I'm on my way. But I've not yet found it. And so I wonder if I'll feel the same way with new love. You know, will I feel like, oh, man, I wouldn't have been able to experience this if Peter was still alive? Because maybe the two couldn't exist. Sure. So they are different in that way. Um, I also know that... Uh, you know, at least the way I experienced it physically was so different, right? Like, I describe this in my book, but those moments before I gave birth to Eve, she died on the day she was born. You know, it's like those moments, she was fighting. I felt it. I knew it. You know, and um, Peter was not fighting at the end. He was okay with going. And so physically knowing those two truths is also very different. You know, and I'm sure death in many ways to many different people is all kinds of things. You know, it's like, I don't believe everyone experiences the same. Of course not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I think it, it is, they are such different experiences that the griefs feel different. Um, my memories of their experiences are different. Um, it doesn't feel compounding, though. I've had people ask me that. You know, it's like, oh, gosh, you lost this person, and you lost this person, and you lost this person. Like, that must just be... And I was like, but it doesn't feel compounding. It feels different. Yeah. You know? So, to some degree, maybe that's a gift, too. You know, that um, it doesn't feel like the whole world has, like, fallen in on me. Like, I can almost, like, compartmentalize this death versus that death. Sure. They are not stacked on top of each other. They're just different on, on the same plane, but just different. Mm-hmm. If you find yourself in your single season, if you're someone who is not in a relationship, I would love to have a little chat. So I was single for about seven years. And during that time, I resisted it so much. For about half that time, I was like, get me out of this. I was trying to find the one. I was serial dating. I was just desperately trying to find 
my person. And about halfway through, I realized that this season was really here for me. And I had to choose it in order to make it as powerful as it really wanted to be in my life. So I embraced this in-between and went through an initiation that, you know, in coming out the other side, not only did I find my person, which wasn't the ultimate goal, but I did. And I now find myself in such a healthy relationship. And I know it's because I took that time during my single season to come back to myself. So if you are someone who is just feeling, you know, you just want to find your soulmate already, or you're uncomfortable spending time with yourself, or you're worried about what others think about your singleness, or you feel pressure to be in a relationship, or you have anxiety that time is running out for you to find the one, or you only feel validated by being in a relationship, or maybe you're in a relationship, but you're thinking perhaps, you know, it's time that you really come back to yourself. Maybe you abandon yourself in relationship a bunch. So I would love to invite you to the Sacredness of Being Single program. This is a program that I created in the wake of my single season where you can release all judgment and pressure around being single really define what your soul desires and begin to collaborate with your soul. I want you to take back the narrative of this season for yourself and really choose you. So this is a program that you can do on your own time, but we also have a two-hour live circle with me once a month where we can integrate, connect, heal, and come together to ask questions. We move through different exercises, writing, soul journaling, I also do sound medicine. It's really a very unique experience every single time that we gather in circle. So if you're interested in the Sacredness of Being Single program, please, please go to sacrednessofbeingsingle.com to learn more. I cannot wait for you to discover what's possible during the season. And I am so honored to help guide you on that path. You experience yourself differently in relationship now, whether it's romantic or even mm. friendship, like, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just curious. Yes. You know. Yes. Ooh. Okay. So now, they, okay, let's get into this now. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Look, girl, I am. That's part of, sorry, I just want to add. Yes. That's, that's what I've experienced in my life is kind of the same feeling of identities dying mm. where like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I identified as this type of person in relationship for so long. Mm -hmm. And then I found that like when I reconnected with my person, I was like, oh, a lot of that has to die actually. And I have to come a little bit closer to who I really am. Yes. And it's like, that sounds amazing, but it's actually really hard. It's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And I yeah. think for me, like, okay, so we'll talk about romantic love first, right? Which is that um, I think I'm just more exacting. I'm not as cool with the bullshit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. Which I see you as someone, uh, uh, this is my perception. I'm meeting you for yeah. the first time today. I would think you have always been like that. Yeah. But you that's know, just my perception. But, to, I would, but, yeah, but not yeah. all, not really. You I, know? I love Not really. Yeah. yeah. I think especially in love, right? You feel like you should accommodate. Sure. Because isn't that what love is? Mm -hmm. You know, aren't you supposed to accommodate another person? But I have found that that's actually not true, that you have to be holy yourself in order for the other person to love you holy. 
if you accommodate, you're only giving a little bit of yourself because somewhere along the line, you've left a part of yourself. So the person is only loving half of you. Gosh, do we ever think about that? So it's like, yes, when I'm full and of myself and I'm like, okay, like here I am with all my things, you know, and I'm uncompromising in that, in who I am and how I represent myself, then it is better love because I'm being fully loved versus trying to accommodate and therefore leaving a part of myself, then I'm only halfway loved. And so I am less accommodating to anybody who's not willing to fully love me as holy me. And in maternal love, um, I mean, I think that this little cliche that everybody's like, oh, yes, I love my children. I'm amazing. Love. But come on, let's be serious. You know, it's tough. It's a tough job. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with Lael, it has been, so again, such a gift because I had to fight for her this. You know, I had to fight to be her mom. And so in those moments where I am frustrated and I'm tired, especially as a single mom, mm-hmm. oof, Lord, I think about that, you know, and I think about the fact that like, Man, I had to fight for this. Like I'm uh, even in the tough parts because nobody said motherhood was just easy. You know, it's not all just baked cookies <laughs> and fun bubble baths. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes they shit on you. Mm-hmm. But you got to clean it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So I am um, in both ways. I think I am more appreciative um, of who I am in the position and the type of person I am. I don't pretend to be a different mother than I am. Oh, yeah, we'll tell you that. She'll tell you that in a heartbeat. (laughs) Why? What will she say? Oh, man. She knows the things I will do and won't do. Okay? (laughs) Because that's the kind of mom I am. Uh Uh-uh. Totally. I'm not watching the kids' movies. (laughs) I'm obsessed. Get out of here. I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. Frozen? No. No! (laughs) Get out. I'm not doing it. You know, I already told her, I was like, girl, you better hurry up and grow up so I can move to Paris. (laughs) (laughs) Hurry up. It's taking too long. <laughs> How long do we have to do 18? What's going on? How many years left? I love. <laughs> Wait, last night she came home and she told me that Lael's 13, right? Uh, it's actually such a wonderful age. That's I just, fun. I love her. I love her. Aww. She's just like, she's cool. You know, yeah. yeah like, just... honestly, if she wasn't my kid, like, I really wouldn't want her to be my friend. Like, no. I really like her as a person. So she came home and she told me that one of her friends, one of her best friends now, she's at a new school. Okay. Well, she's been there now. This is her second year there. And um, so she comes home and she's just like, Zoe said that her mom said she should go off to boarding school so she could go to Paris. And I was like, really? I was like, where's Zoe's mom's number? <laughs> Give me Zoe's mom's number. Maybe y'all two can go off to boarding school together. Okay? We just, that, that, that'll solve everything. <laughs> and, she, and she really took me seriously because she knows. She okay? Knows. Look, mommy's out here. Mommy's ready for you to grow up so I can move out and go do something else. <laughs> I love it. Well, I think that realness and honesty, you know, with with your daughter is such a is such a beautiful thing to think about, like what you're teaching her, you know, Mm -hmm. like where I think kids are so sensitive and perceptive that Mm -hmm. like I definitely can feel like I knew when my parents were overextending and over accommodating mm. to us and mm. and sacrificing really their mental and physical and wow. whatever emotional well-being and that didn't feel good to me wow mm. so like you Imagine. expressing mm-hmm. and yeah. doing your thing actually feels like 
such a power move as a mom and like actually very much serving your daughter. Mm. Mm. You know? Thank you. For just think that. the play, just being playful. Yeah. And joking. Yeah. Is everything. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah. Just being like, oh, it's time for you to go. Yeah. Just like, is, <laughs> you know, because we have this idea that parents need to be like, I love you so much. Exactly. No matter what. Never move out. Exactly. Yeah, literally. Smother me. Please. Yeah, smother like, you. No. Just like that kind of idea. Yeah, yes, exactly. Like, Give me space over mm-hmm, the ocean. Mm-hmm. You're individuating. I'm individuating. We're like, <laughs> yeah. we're being our own people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In yeah. motherhood with, you know, the transitions that you've gone through mm-hmm. with grief and then even in work, mm-hmm. how have you navigated that? Because yeah. someone's watching. Ooh. You know? Yes. Oof, we're gonna get into this now. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is the, okay, that's a, that's a real deep place. Um, oh God, it's like the worst, man. I have mm-hmm. to tell you. Yeah, like this thing is it's so hard. I actually, I mean, I won't name names, but I'm on this board, and this morning we had a board meeting, and one of the women who runs the marketing communications for the company that I'm on the board for announced that she was retiring or not retiring, was leaving. And, um, you know, I wrote on the side and you was just like, you know, I was just like, gosh, I forget because the board meetings are hard, right? I've been to board, you know, you have to present. It's like really tough. And then you got to say you resign. But like, right, you know, and I'm like, hey, you know, it's like, I just want to tell you, like, you're a great executive. Like, I'm so happy for you. Whatever you're doing next, you know, great. And she, she wrote back and she said she was resigning because she wants to start a family. Mm. And it just hit me because I was just like, damn, so you have to leave your job so you can do that? Mm. You know, and what that means for us as women, having to make that choice. Mm-hmm. You know, Serena Williams, mm-hmm. who's also a friend, right? And she re- retired, sort of, right? Because mm-hmm. she wants more in her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that choice that we have to make, not just to start a family, but to maintain a family. And as I think everybody knows, if you're in the C-suite, you are giving everything yeah. that you have. And so, yes, of course, there are more men in the boardrooms because they can. Of course, there are not more women there because, look, if you're going to give everything there and you also got to give it at home, how many people have the strength to do that? And how long can you do that? I'll give you an example of how ridiculous the situation is. When we moved to L.A., I took a new job three months after Peter had died, which was to run marketing for Beats Music. It was called at the time. It was off of Beats Electronics. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre had asked me to run marketing. Um, I really, in full transparency, I needed, I needed to uh, run. You know, I needed to just throw myself in something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I won't, I won't pretend bravery. I won't pretend smart. So I was just, I just need to run away. Um, and so I was like, yes, I'll leave New York <laughs> and go to LA as far away as possible and do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I moved Layel here in, uh, in June at the same time. So <laughs> listen to this damn story. At the same time, we were being acquired by Apple. So head of the marketing, Apple was definitely interested in, in beats for the music streaming service. Cause of course that would become Apple music. I was negotiating my continuation because Apple was going to acquire the company. And therefore I was also going to be absorbed into Apple also, at the same time, sort of staging a semi-coup because I was going to also take over iTunes. Um, and I was moving Lael here and also still dealing with grief, a new widow of six months. The office for Beats is based in Los Angeles and Apple's based in Cupertino, mm-hmm. which is about a 45-minute flight. Um, as a marketer, 
it is very hard <laughs> to operate in a company that is full of engineers. And so I knew that I needed to be in front of people. And of course, let's say it, I'm black and I'm a woman. And that even meant that I had to do that more, right? Because otherwise you get dismissed, you get, there's miscommunication, people think you're not into it, they don't understand you, you know, all the things. You have to be in person to feel people, to talk to you, look at them in the eye, go by their desk, ask about their kids. You know, you have to do all of that. Yeah. So I decided that I would do it all. I would go up to Cupertino every day. And that didn't mean that I would spend the night there. I meant every day. So I worked it out with the nuns who were at Lael school because she was in a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, I would drop her off at 730. I would run to LAX, make an 820 a.m. flight. I could walk into a meeting at 10 a.m. I'd work all day, catch a 620 p.m. flight back home, walk in my door at 8 p.m. Lael's bedtime was 830. I did that every day. Every day, five days a week for two years. And that is the choice I had to make in order to be both a mom who didn't feel the guilt of being separated because I certainly had colleagues who were doing the L.A. Cupertino thing but would be up from, you know, Monday morning through Thursday night. My boss was one of those people. His family lived in L.A. and he had an apartment in Cupertino. And he would do that. He would talk about how tired he was. And I would say, oh, man, just drink more coffee and have that stupid smile on my face. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, I do this every day. I go up and down the coast every single day. And to me, it is the, um, the challenge of making the decision that that is what you want to do. You know, and then finding ways to forgive yourself. Mm-hmm when you're not present for the things, you know, it was sort of at the end of that, of the two years that, um, we were, we were getting to a really good place with Apple music. I was actually just about to present the second iteration of Apple music was the first one bombed, um, (laughs) to the world. That was another big moment, right? On the Apple keynote stage was going to be a big deal. First, first black person to ever be on that stage. Mm -hmm. By the way, another story over that. (laughs) Okay. All that situation. That was a whole nother situation. Anyway, so that was about to be a moment. And um, I took Lael to school. And because that the keynote was coming up and I was rehearsing for it. I took her to school. It was her first day. And uh, all the parents were invited to stay for the first day. But I could not because I had to get on the plane at 820. Um, and I remember being like at her desk and taking out her little things. And she's over in the corner talking to her little group of friends. <laughs> <laughs> over here holding back the tears because I knew I had to go and all the other parents were like taking their time they're having their little croissants and coffee mm-hmm. I'm just trying to arrange my things quickly you know mm-hmm. so I can leave and sneak out the side and um, I heard her in conversation and one of the little kids was like oh, yeah, so, did you see my mom you know Da-da-da-da-da. and I was like yes my mom's over there and she <laughs> has to she's like she has to leave and now and my stomach you know just everything dropped because I was just like oh man I don't want her to feel like I'm abandoning her when all these other kids. And she's, and then she continued. She was like, because she has a very big presentation and I cannot wait to see it. I'm so excited. Aww. And her little voice and the little excitement. And it was so wild to me. Like she remembers that, by the way. And um, it was wild to me because I was just like, you know, yeah, I'm, this is a different relationship. 
You know, this is not the same as everybody else. And if I try to compare myself to everybody else, I'm going to come up short. But what am I doing differently that is actually going to make this experience great for her? You know, why does different have to be bad? It doesn't have to be bad. Mm -hmm. So if in my choices as a mother, I do things that are different from what the standard is supposed to be, it doesn't have to be bad. And I had to forgive myself for the picture of perfection that has been painted for me and set that aside, throw it out and say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. It doesn't mean I'm a bad mom. Instead, I'm going to replace it with this thing. And this thing that I'm going to build, not because somebody built it for me, I am going to build, it's going to be great. And other people are going to copy it. That's what I'm going to do. And so that moment with Lael is what gave me courage to keep doing it my way. And she was in kindergarten. Wow. Like that, it, it just changed everything for me. And I've, I've never looked back from that. There have obviously been times over the years where I have felt like, oh man, I missed this or missed that. But we are in such great agreement, she and I, over the things that I cannot miss. Mm. That I don't feel guilty about things I do. Yeah. And that means I've had to change my perspective on her voice in our household what it means. Like, I don't just tell her what to do. We talk about the things to do. You know, it's a different relationship in my house. Mm -hmm. And it's not that like, you know, nobody knows who the parent is. I'm still the mama in the house. <laughs> but she does have a powerful voice in our house. Mm -hmm. And so when she says, this thing is important to me, I need you to be there. Man, they, they had to be some, some, the, the whole world had turned over in order for mm -hmm. me not to be there. Yeah. If she says I have yeah. to, but she knows when to call in and when not to. That's so important. Mm -hmm. And that's like with being even joking, when you're joking, that's honesty and truth. And it's like, that is being able to be honest and true. Mm. You know, because a lot of times parents and kids, it's like they're not being fully honest and true. Yeah. Parents are like, I really want to come or I really, and they don't, or they, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not a priority for them, but being able to be, and this is any relationship, be like, hey, actually this really matters. Yeah. And being okay to ask, being comfortable to ask is, is huge. You know, something that you mentioned about the journey was being in the office and being, having face, like, you know, having FaceTime with people in this role and being able to ask people how their kids are and everything like that. And I'm curious what you think about this. Like, do you feel like that because you are a black woman that you had to do that even more than if you were just like a white man in the Absolutely. role? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Everything I do as a black woman, I have to do extra for sure. Um, and look, that before, in the beginning made me very angry, very, very bitter about it. And I won't, I won't pretend yeah. like it was like a jolly thing where I'm just like, oh, you know what? I'll do extra work just because I'm black. Mm -hmm. No. And I'm still pissed off about mm -hmm. it. And I think that's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, um, of course, it's a trope of being the angry black woman. And so sometimes mm -hmm. you shy away from expressing your anger. But I think we should all be angry. Mm -hmm. That's an we interesting should, We should all be mm -hmm. shocked mm -hmm. that that has to be, you know? But I also realized and had to come to terms with the fact that it is true. Mm -hmm. You know, that's sometimes what holds us back from our own greatness is that we're so mad at the thing for the way it is that we don't think about how to use it to our advantage. Say more about the advantage. Well, the advantage is that I have to go door to door, knock, say hi, make people feel comfortable with me. The advantage in that is that I know everyone. Mm. I know everything 
that I need to know in order to move the way I need to move. Sometimes I feel like white men get encumbered because they don't have to do that. Totally. And so they will step up and fall and stumble and just like, oh, God, he fell down, Elon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then you're like, well, yeah, because he didn't have to go door to door. Yeah. He didn't have to ask you how you're doing. Uh-huh. He didn't have to shake your hand. Uh-huh. <laughs> he didn't have to look. And look, sometimes it's the basic things. My outfits. Okay? The way I dress. In my blackness. Today, I'm wearing a colorful African print. Let me just describe my outfit with a beautiful denim jacket. Amazing earrings. You got incredible. Thank you. The incredible hair earrings. I'm not wearing any kind of like little perfect. diamonds does. No, okay? But in an office setting, that causes problems. Isn't that wild? It is wild. And we should all be upset about that. But we're not. So wild. Instead, we're like, look at that weirdo. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, yes, mm-hmm. it meant that um, early on. And this was, this was a true story. Everyone who worked with me at Pepsi will tell you that I would do this. Okay? I would walk around the office, spend my first 15 minutes just walking around, just letting people see my outfit. <laughs> just look at me. Get your whole fill so you don't have to talk about me later. Okay? If I'm wearing tight-ass leather pants and you can see my whole booty, just go ahead and look. Okay? Get your whole fill in so you don't have to talk Peacock about and... me. No. I love it. You have to look at me and talk about me when you're at the coffee break. Okay? Mm-hmm. Just go ahead and do it. Look. It's right here. <laughs> You don't have to walk by my desk and see, oh, did you see that? No, you saw it because I walked around. Okay? Uh-huh. And yes, in that walking around, I became the mayor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I love it, yeah. Because I am, yeah, I'm asking about your babies. And I'm asking about what's on your desk and what you have for dinner and what did you do over the weekend? And, oh, is your mom all right? Mm-hmm. You know? I did all of that. And people see you then as a person. And I know that that sounds strange. But yes, in the corporate setting... There are tropes and there are stereotypes, and I didn't want to be that. Mm-hmm. And the only way to get around that is for people to see me, which meant that I had to see them. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. Yeah. Wow. I want to pivot a little bit to this concept of urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously related to the book, but when I hear the word urgency, I'm like, there's a quickness and it, it, it's, it feels like a pace to me. Mm. It feels, yeah, it just feels reactive. But I, I know that this is a much deeper um, exploration mm. of the word and concept. So I would love to talk about urgency from your perspective. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I, yes, I feel urgent for many reasons. Some of them obvious. And yes, some, some of it about pace. Um, But I did choose that word very carefully because I wanted to be intentional with the idea of urgency. Urgency isn't complete if it's just about running fast. You know, it's like you can't just go fast at something. You'll probably miss your target. Like if you go fast and you have a purpose in mind and you're saying, I'm going to run there, you're probably going to make it. If you just like run willy-nilly, just eyes up in the sky with your hands up, running fast, you're going to miss. You're going to shoot past it. Maybe you're not even going to make it there. Mm. You know, and so it's a combination of time and intention. So yes, do I believe that we should do things right now? Because time is short? Absolutely. A hundred percent. If you were doing something you don't want to do, if you're with somebody you don't want to be with, if you're in a job you don't like, if you want to do that thing when you retire next year, if at the beginning of the pandemic, you'll say, I'll do this thing when everything goes back normal, do that shit right now. Mm-hmm. It's about time. 
It is also about intention. Why do you want to do that thing? What is it about that thing that makes you want to do that? Have you explored that? And then why are you putting it off? If you're asking those two questions, then you're fulfilling urgency. And so for me, it's like everything in my life now has that filter on it. Mm. You know, it's like, why did I want to write the book now? Yeah, because my story was like bubbling over, was sitting inside. I needed to come outside. (laughs) Even though people have been asking me to write it for a long time, I didn't feel ready. And then one day, I was like, oh, okay, it is right now. You know? Mm-hmm. And instead of putting it off, because, yeah, it was at the beginning of the pandemic. Can you imagine? That's when I got my book deal. Wow. Wow. Like, right before. And then I decided to write my book anyway, instead of waiting. That's you know? Wild. Because, like, I knew that whatever I was feeling at that very moment, it needed to come out. And so if I waited, like, what if it went away? Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah, urgency is that fulfillment of those two questions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what is it that you want to do and why are you not doing it? And then why do you want to do it? Mm-hmm. If you answer both of those things, you probably will understand your urgency better in your own life. Mm-hmm. I'd love to close with a question about, you know, your the journey here. It's like mm-hmm. for the women that are listening that, have that sole desire to slow down and to strip away mm-hmm. and to really find out who they are mm-hmm. and get comfortable with themselves. What would you say about this process? You know, really getting to know the true soul essence of you and not the ego. Yeah. How has that felt? Yeah, that's a really big question too, because to some degree, this is about intuition. Mm-hmm. We already know. That doesn't feel like the right answer, but yes, Mm -hmm. we already know. 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 We're just hiding from it. Or we're talking to ourselves differently about it. And you're trying to convince yourself otherwise about it. We already know. And so this idea that you should go find it elsewhere, that you should follow some pattern that somebody has laid out for you, You should write the pro and con list. You should write the five-year plan. Those are all lies. They're covers for what is already there. It really is. And so the work is not so much about finding it externally or like understanding what the process is going to be, but really understanding that it already exists. And so all you have to do is pay attention. It is there. You know, maybe you feel like it's that little voice in the back of your head somewhere that <laughs> keeps whispering. You don't need medication. It's you. You know? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's very, very loud and you're trying to cover it with something else. You know, maybe this is the sign. Maybe this is what you needed to hear to tell you that you should listen to that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you haven't been already, this is the time, like right now, to do it and act on it. You know, the amazing thing about intuition and like the voice and the spirit, which I have found, oh my gosh, it's like such a wonderful thing, Mm -hmm. is that it's really your friend. You know, sometimes we know that inner voice and we feel afraid of it and we try to quiet it and we're like, shut the hell up. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and we're a little afraid of it because it's telling the truth and you don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? So you get pissed off at it. Sure. He's like, would you shut up? I'm having a perfectly good life. And then you over here trying to ruin it. You know? It's true. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that it's like really your friend. And the more you listen, the more you act, the stronger it becomes. And that strength is incredible. It will give you power when you don't feel like you have it. You know, that idea of intuition, it is part of the hand I held when it was time for me to release my job. Was knowing that like that voice was like, girl, you got to go. And I was like, okay, hold on. Let me grab my purse. Hold on one second. Hold my (laughs) hand though, because I'm scared. You know what I mean? Like, so this is the sign. Mm-hmm. This is the sign. None of us are, are accidental. You're not listening to this accidentally. We're not in this room accidentally. Mm-hmm. All of us are in purpose. Mm-hmm. And so this is it. This is the sign. So true. Thank amazing. you. This was so amazing. Uh, no. This was so thankful. So Thank this you. was incredible. It mm-hmm. was so much fun. I'm so grateful. Oh, I can't wait to so read the book. Uh, I'm, I am so grateful for I you. I cannot wait. Really. Truly for allowing me the space, you know, this is, um, this is heavy Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, you provide such a light space to Mm -hmm. be able to put it on the table and not be afraid to say Mm -hmm. the word. So I thank you for Mm -hmm. creating this space. Mm -hmm. What a gift that you're also giving. So I appreciate it very much. Not every interview will be this good. So (laughs) just just remember, remember this moment. Sorry to start you off in this way. Girl, okay. The bar is set. Hi. Bar yeah, they're going to be like, so you're, um, so he died. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Exactly. Next question. I'm like, where is the pink room? Yeah. Honestly. The mob. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You're like, where's the womb? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Give me the womb. The womb. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. We love you guys. Love we'll see you, you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bose. We really appreciate you coming into the studio. Again, the book is The Urgent Life. And we appreciate you sharing this with a friend. If you found this inspiring, if you found this insightful, if you found this fun or interesting or deep, we love when you share our episodes with friends. Yeah, we love you. Uh, And be sure to check out our new podcast, Morning Microdose. These are clips that come out Monday through Friday. You can start your mornings at the tone for the day with inspiring, funny, very insightful clips from the Almost 30 podcast. And we're excited to hear what you think. Yeah, we love you guys. See you soon. Bye. Bye.